835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Early Brewers game today. Brewers go for the sweep of the Boston Red Sox. You can hear it here on News Radio 620 WTMJ. We start off this program like we start off every program. Three big things, things I think you need to know about to discuss at the water cooler or the gym or whatever. Big thing number one, no surprise. What is going on with crime in Milwaukee? When it comes to car thefts and people running from the police, new report by the Fire and Police Commission says the suspects are younger, they are more reckless, and they are likely to get away. It is a staggering report. Now, one of the things that the Fire and Police Commission report does, they have access to numbers from the Milwaukee Police Department. So they've come out with this report. One of the things that they do not analyze, they, in this report, they analyze the number of chases that police have been involved in uh, essentially since 2010 when the Milwaukee Police Department changed its policy. That's when Tim and Tom Barrett and Ed Flynn decided we are going to allow people to drive away. We will not pursue, we will not chase unless we believe that the vehicle involved has been involved in a violent crime. So if it's just a stolen car or it's just somebody that runs, we will essentially let them go. The only time we will chase is if we have evidence to believe that the car has been involved in a violent crime. So as a result of that, the word has gotten out, and people routinely run. What were the numbers that Bob Donovan released a week or so ago showing that uh, so far this year, for the first couple months of this year, there's been, what, like 1,200 cars that just drive away from the police, and they kind of wave goodbye as the police, you know, um, as they watch them pull away. In addition... Even when they do chase, and this is one of the staggering things in this report, um, even when they do chase, they find that uh, police only apprehend the bad guys uh, about three and a half times out of ten. About 37% of the time they make apprehensions. The rest of the time, the people get away. So even when they do chase, we're not very good at catching the people who run. Then what also happens is that you have the people who run. Well, it's not like these are solid citizens. These are people who then, I believe, go on and commit all sorts of other crimes. Now, the reason we do not chase is because you have people who are reckless. They are driving at high rates of speed. They are fleeing from the police. And the concern that brought about this whole policy was that you had a couple civilians who were seriously injured and or killed because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time as somebody goes barreling through an intersection at 95 miles an hour and hits and slams into them. So that was the whole idea behind this concern. You know, we want to protect our citizens by not having these chases. So this is now the policy. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, here's what needs to happen, and it needs to happen like yesterday. We've been having conversations about how crime has gotten out of control, particularly auto theft, carjackings, things like that. How more and more of the people who are committing the crimes are juveniles who recognize that the catch and release system that they have in Milwaukee County is not going to hold them accountable. On top of that, 
the word has gotten out in the criminal community, whether you're talking adults or whether you're talking juveniles, that you can commit crimes, you can run from the police, and they will not follow you. Now, you're dealing with people that have the impulse control of fruit flies. So it's not like they're thinking, gee, if I run away today, maybe I'm going to get caught tomorrow, or maybe they'll track me down two or three days from now. They're just thinking, run, run, run. When they run and when they're allowed to go, what you have happen is they're out on the streets, and it's not like they don't commit more crimes. Here is what I believe needs to happen. This policy needs to be abandoned like yesterday. I understand there are times when you do not chase, where it's not chase safe to chase because of, of the circumstances. Hey, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon down Wisconsin Avenue. You don't want cars going 85 miles an hour. I understand that. But chases need to be, I think, viewed on a case-by-case basis. And to say as a matter of policy that we are going to let the bad guys drive away in stolen cars or whatever. You try to make a traffic stop, the police put on the bubble light, and the car takes off. I think it is stupid, stupid to just have a policy saying we're going to let them go because the truth of the matter is there is a reason why people are running from the police. They have probably committed all sorts of other crimes, and you know what? If you don't catch them, they will continue to commit crimes. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And the reason some of you, reason everybody should care about this is as we discussed yesterday with the increase in car thefts in Brookfield and Cedarburg and things like that, what is happening is the plague of crime in Milwaukee is spreading as more and more Milwaukee criminals become emboldened and start moving out to the suburbs, at least moving their criminal enterprises out to the suburbs, looking to commit crimes there. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bob in Oak Creek. Bob, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? Good. What do you think? Well, I have to tell you that these restrictive pursuit policies have been adopted by every progressive policing agency. We say progressive in quotation marks, right? <laughs> in, in this country. Okay, and it's been going on for 30 years. It's not, it's not just Ed Flynn and Tom Barrett. And God knows, I would think that Sheriff Clark probably doesn't have such a policy uh, because progressive would not be an adjective I'd use to describe him. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but, you know, in addition, some of these policies are, are dollar-driven, uh, because uh, I know you're a recovering lawyer. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, lawyers take th- this stuff upon themselves and make millions and millions of dollars and cost the citizens of our communities that amount. You're talking about in lawsuits when, yes, when somebody so gets injured as a result of the chase. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I can assure you that every one of those incidents that, that you cited, and I know you cited them right. in general terms, I can assure you that there was litigation attached to every flipping one of them. Yep. No, and I, I think, and, and that, and that's all well and good. And, and I understand. Plus, look, I, I get the idea that you you don't want to endanger the average citizens, and, and I, I think that's a legitimate concern. That all right, gee, you feel terrible. There's an 80 year old man who's you know in in he got the right away, and some you know 18 year old driving 95 miles an hour in a stolen car blast through the intersection and, and hits him. But here's part of the problem that's going on. They're doing that anyways. 
I mean, right now, they're doing that anyways. Crime is so out of control, and you have these people, car theft is out of control, the carjackings, whatever. People are doing this with impunity. I mean, how many stories have we had where you know, that happens with or without the chase? My point is, you've got to catch the bad guys. You've got to get them off the streets. And again, I appreciate that you don't want to do something that is irresponsible. But most of the suburban police districts, for example, the counties, I mean, their policy is they chase until it's not safe not to. In Milwaukee, it is exactly the other way, and the bad guys know it, and they're getting away with it. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 843, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in uh, oh the next hour or so, Betsy DeVos, who's the Secretary of Education, is treated, treated rudely as she is giving the commencement speech at an historically black college in Florida. We have the video of that, and we will be discussing it. If you want to see the video of, well, again, young adults completely out of control, I was going to use this, the word boorish, because it is boorish. But if you want to see it in advance of our conversation, if you text the word protest, protest to 414-799-1620, um, we will, well, I'll send you the video of that, and you can have it as a background to something we'll talk about a little bit later on the show. Right now, we're talking about a new report out by the Fire and Police Commission, which says, not surprisingly, since Milwaukee changed its pursuit policy, more people run. The people who run are younger and they tend to um, run faster, 75, 80 miles an hour, not surprising. I, I think this new police policy is a failure. I think you need to get the bad guys off the street. Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. What do you think? Bob? Yes. Hi, Bob. You're on the air. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to touch base. I just listen. I don't call. Sure. Well, welcome. I think, the, I think the point is being missed. Um, regarding the chases, I think you have to determine, is it self-generated chase or is it a 9-1 call for service? Because the more contacts that the police have, the more likely there's going to be a complaint. Someone's going to say, you can't arrest me. People mm-hmm. are going to take video. And I believe that there's not as much zeal because when you said they're not very good at it, I would argue that point. I think the police are very good at it. Well, they're, I, well, the reason I say they're not very the reason I say they're not very good at it is because let me see, I've got the numbers here. Even when they do initiate chases, but is it uh, a nine one call for service or is it self generated? By self-generated, well, I don't know that they break it up. These are people who they put on the bubble lights, they try to catch them, and then they run yep. away. And they should break it up. They should. Well, they right. Should, they should break it up. Was it a self-initiated traffic stop, or did someone call 911 and say, hey, you need to stop that black Toyota with this place? Well, I guess, the, I mean, but I don't think the policy differentiates. The policy says that unless you have evidence, probable cause, I believe, to believe that the car that in question was involved in a serious crime, like a crime of violence, you, you just, you got to let them go. So if you see somebody that runs a red light, for example... Um, you, and and you, you put on the bubble lights, you try to get them to pull over, they take off, what's going to happen is you're going to let them go. 
Um, that that is the policy. Unless again, you have evidence to believe, hey, that car was stolen, and even cars, uh, th- stolen cars, they'll let go. Now, if the car was stolen in a carjacking, they will end up chasing it. So, I guess I, I'm not sure what that distinction is. And when I say they're not very good at it, this isn't a criticism of the Milwaukee police; it's a criticism of the policy. But even when they initiate chases under, when even when a chase is justified, I think this number said they only catch them. They catch them less than four times out of ten. So the bad guys have gotten better at figuring out how to run away. Look, here, here's the uh, bottom line. I understand you don't want to put citizens in harm's way. I, I get it. I appreciate it. But right now, what we're doing does not work because every, every criminal in the city of Milwaukee, whether it's a 13-year-old criminal or a 63-year-old criminal, knows that they can run away from the cops and the cops are more likely than not going to let them go. So what does that mean? They commit the crime. They take off. Let's say they've got this. Let's just use a car theft as an example. You let the car thief run. Car thief disappears. All right, what, what is going to happen? What is that car thief going to do? Do you think suddenly they're going to, like, I'm going to walk on the straight and narrow? Oh, no. What they're going to do is they're going to go out and they're going to steal another car a day or two from now. You perpetuate the criminal activity. I think you have to do everything you can to get these bad guys off the streets. Now, obviously, you need to use discretion as to how you are doing this. But simply to say we're going to give you a green light to run is nothing short of insane, period. Coming up, big thing number two. Stick around. It's 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ's classic free ride is now officially out of our garage, and it's ready to head into yours. You can now register to win this 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible. I saw it last week by heading to WTMJ.com. This is sponsored by Prescient Financial Solutions with Northwestern Mutual. And don't forget to text the word RIDE. Ride to 414-799-1620 to check out the photo gallery of what could be your next car. So, yeah, if you text the word ride, we'll send you what the car looks like. If you text the word protest to that number, um, we'll, we'll send you a video of what happened to the Secretary of Education the other day. We will be discussing that a little bit later on in the show. So protest for the video of the boorish way college students treated the Secretary of Education ride for what could be your next car. How about that? All right. Got my nominee for Mom of the Week. Love this story. Well, in a love in a, you know, you need a license to catch a fish, but anybody can have a kid. Here's the way they report it in the Journal Sentinel. A Milwaukee woman accused of allowing her 8-year-old son to steer a moving car faces charges of drunken driving and endangering safety. All right, all you parents out there, just imagine this. A Milwaukee County Sheriff's deputy saw a sport utility vehicle out of control on an on-ramp to Highway um, um, 145 in Milwaukee last Thursday. So, okay, there's this car that's weaving as it's going on the on-ramp. The deputy, who is apparently a female, this gets a little more interesting. So, okay, sees this car out of control getting on the on-ramp. Sees an 8-year-old child on the lap of 37-year-old Carrie Bernard, who was in the driver's seat while the child gripped the wheel. (sighs) Then, as they pull over the car, the child jumped to the passenger seat and put on his seatbelt. 
All right, so the deputy, who apparently is a female, goes up to the side of the car. The kid is screaming, I don't want to go to jail, Mommy, the child cried. At which point in time, Mom then says, you're not going to jail. Just remember her face, referring to the deputy. She's the one that did this to us. All right, so Mom mom has the kid driving in her lap, gets pulled over. Don't worry, dear. You know, you're not going to go to jail. Just remember the face of this deputy. She's the one that's doing this to us. Um, they didn't do – no blood alcohol testing has been pleaded yet, but the complaint alleges, alleges Bernard performed poorly on field sobriety tests. No kidding. It says she has been convicted or had her driver's license revoked in two prior drunken drive, two prior driving incidents involving alcohol. So here you have mom of the year driving – the kid is on her lap, eight-year-old steering, getting onto the freeway. She gets pulled over, and then, oh, oh, honey, this is the police officer. Remember her? She's the one that's doing this to us. Congratulations, Mom of the Year. Now, of course, this begs the question, why Mom is behind the wheel of a car to begin with? Why Mom is driving, you know, if she's had these prior incidents with alcohol and her license and things like that? But, it, okay, she's going to blame the cops. I mean, gee, it's nice. She's apparently teaching her eight-year-old son how to drive when she's too drunk to. Wonderful. Wonderful. She's now been charged with a crime. All right. Coming up right after the news, it's big thing number two. I mean, I, I don't want to bury the lead here. In some circles, David Clark is being na- is being name is being mentioned as a replacement for James Comey. Again, I don't want to bury the lead. Some people might ask the question, some talk show hosts, what do you think would be a good FBI director? It's not going to happen. He's not confirmable. There's no way David Clark gets through the U.S. Senate. You need to get it confirmed by the U.S. Senate um, in order to become the FBI director. But it is apparent that Clark is on his way out as the Milwaukee County Sheriff. I want to talk about some of the jobs that he's being mentioned for and what his legacy is going to be. Jeff Wack, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two. Uh, I don't know where this is coming from. Um, Reuters had a story yesterday. Um, David Clark. David Clark is um, on some people's top five list to replace James Comey as the director of the FBI. Uh, let, let me just like, like end this now. Um, whatever you think of Sheriff Clark, good, bad, indifferent. He's not going to be the next FBI director. The FBI director needs to be confirmed by the Senate. And for better or for worse, in my opinion at least, Sheriff Clark is is just not confirmable. He's just not. He's too much of a lightning rod. You can agree with that or disagree with it. But there's been too much controversy, I think, involving him. The Democrats would have a field day with, you know, various pronouncements that he's made, various Things that have gone on at the jail, whether it's his fault or not, some different personnel decisions. I mean, it's just if you're Donald Trump, I mean, if if you want to talk about just inviting a whirlwind of controversy, it would be that. And the other reality is, I don't think with all due respect to Sheriff Clark, I don't think he's qualified to be the director of the FBI, The, the director of the FBI that to run that agency. I think you need. A, a management type of experience you need a background that is different than the one that sheriff clark has and that's that that's not that is not intended as a criticism it's just 
I, I just don't think he would be the right candidate. But it doesn't matter because he, he's not going to get he's not going to get the job. He's not going to be confirmable. And what you would do is you would really hand you would take this firestorm. We're going to talk a little bit about that in just a couple of minutes, and you would just ratchet it up several levels. So I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think the fact now, if you're asking me what I think is going to happen with Sheriff Clark. I think it is much more likely that he will be leaving his position sometime in the relatively near future, and then he will be taking a job with the Trump administration, but it's going to be somewhere, and the rumors are, and I, I'm told by some of my sources in Washington, that, that that's what people have been looking at, a job in Homeland Security that does not involve Senate confirmation, not a cabinet-level type of thing, a job where he can simply be hired for so you don't have to undergo all that scrutiny. And I think that that's probably a, a likelihood. Also, while I think some of the outrage directed at Clark, as then is, is reported, like in the local media and stuff, I, I, don't, I do not believe he is as unpopular as some people would suggest. I, I just don't. If he were really as unpopular as some people would suggest, you wouldn't have some of the usual suspects out there writing letters to Governor Walker saying, we want you to remove Sheriff Clark. What you would have is you would have the usual suspects starting recall efforts. The fact that they're not starting recall efforts tell me that they don't think that they can do it. They don't think that they could win a a recall election because they'd love to get rid of, of David Clark. That all being said, I will be stunned if David Clark is in this position a a year and a half from now. I I don't see him running for re-election. I think he's ready to do different things, whatever they may be. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If Sheriff Clark leaves in the foreseeable future, whether it's to host the talk show on Fox News or whether it's most likely to take a job with the Homeland Security Agency, a non-confirmable one, or if he gets tabbed as the FBI director. If I'm, if I'm somehow wrong, I'm not. But if he gets tabbed with that, regardless, he, he's, he's going to be leaving. What is his legacy going to be? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think... And I've been thinking a lot about this as somebody who I think had at least a little bit of a role in helping him get through a couple primaries over over time. You know, it's what is what is the legacy? I understand that there's some people who've broken really, really very bad on him. And I'm I'm not one of them, even though I am somewhat critical of some of the decisions. What is the legacy of David Clark going to be? In my opinion, the word is mixed. I think when he took over in 2002, he was a breath of fresh air for the community. I think he is willing to say things, say things that need to be said. I think he has been willing to do things that need to be done. That being said, I think his style has been unnecessarily antagonistic in some regards, and as often happens... Um, to people, sometimes you just stay at the dance too long, and I think, I think that's I think the last couple years, candidly, have sort of tarnished his legacy. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Dave downtown. Dave, you're first. Good morning. I don't know. Tanise calling the Black Tom Barrett, <laughs> or he's the anti Tom Barrett. He's the anti Tom Barrett. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you have right. I, I don't think that, it's tough to compare. It's tough to say that there's anything about Tom Barrett and David Clark that are the same. Yeah. 
No, but what I mean by that, he, he doesn't really do anything. You know, I mean, he gets up there, he says all the right things to the base, but at the end of the day, which I hate that word or phrase, he really doesn't really do too much. You know, I mean, it's just, he's just he's kind of like a sounding board. He's kind of like a Republican sounding board. I mean, I just... Do you think he was? Do you think it was always that case? I, see, I, I think I understand what you're saying, and I think you know over, certainly over the last year or two, I understand exactly where you're coming from. But I think the David Clark of 2017 is different than the David Clark of 2005 or 2008. Yeah, I would agree with that. Maybe just get worn down by the system. I mean, there's there's a lot of issues that I mm-hmm. think if you're the you know if Mark County obviously is bigger than the state right. of Milwaukee, I know that they clash, but. What I'd like to see him is take more things on, even with Scott Walker. I think me, personally, it's another show, another topic. People who are driving around without insurance, illegally, <laughs> they really need to start cracking down on them in yeah. Milwaukee. Yeah, well, Dave, they, I mean, they see, and, and, and Dave I'm, I'm all in favor of cracking down on all sorts of things. I think the legacy of David Clark is going to be extremely, extremely mixed. Um, and I guess that's the best way I could describe it. I, I thought, like I said earlier, he was a breath of fresh air when he took over in 2002. And I, I think even though, again, a controversial style, I think he was willing, and even to this day, he's willing to say things that need to be said. But at some point in time, well, it, it's kind of like whether it's a football coach or a baseball manager or whatever, at some point in time, the, the act kind of starts to wear thin. I think he's bored with his job as the Milwaukee County Sheriff. I think he has a, a view of, a, again, a, a more a larger, more national picture. And, and the truth of the matter is I don't fault that. I mean, I understand how people outgrow jobs. I get it. And I, I guess to me, though, at some point in time, if you reach that point where you're bored, where you're tired, where you want to do something different or do something bigger or better – I, I say go with God. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but I do think there's points in time where you have to end up moving on. So, I mean, I'd break down that if, if people ask me about the legacy of David Clark, I I break it down into a couple sections. I, I think, okay, if you're talking about the, the David Clark from 2002 or 2003 through 2012, yeah, that was the guy that was all about reform. That was about the guy that was challenging the system. You know, since then... All right, maybe not as much so. Let's talk to Pat on the south side. Pat, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Pat. I just wanted to say hi, that if he leaves, if he wants to accept a job somewhere else, I would like to know where to send cards, letters, thank yous. Mm-hmm. Some people want to send emails, but I think cards and letters are nice. Mm-hmm. But so you think he's going to be missed. You think the overall legacy is going to be very positive. Yes. I think there is enough people in this community that will miss him. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there has been a change in the sheriff over the years? I mean, because that's my theory, that the 2003 yeah. David Clark is different than the 2017 David Clark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He may have to rein it in, but a little, uh, you yeah. know. Well, and, and, and see, and I understand, I mean, again, I, think, I, mean, I, I understand that that's, people get tired of jobs. You know that that's why I think it's it's always good for people. You know, if you if you, it's always good to leave too soon rather than than, than too late. And and I think you know I, I understand it's it's very frustrating for some people. And 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 the people that hate Clark, 
Uh, unfortunately, he's given them. They, they were always going to hate Clark, but he's given them a lot of ammunition over the last, you know, couple of years or so. Not only by, and I'm not talking about just associating himself with the Trump campaign. I mean, that's politicians do that. Tom Barrett, if Hillary Clinton had asked him to essentially travel all over the country and you know start speaking for her, if Barrett had that kind of persona and that kind of reputation, Barrett would have done it. So I mean, I, I don't fault. I don't fault that. But it does seem to me that the sheriff has kind of either outgrown or gotten bored with or whatever what he's been doing now. And I think the longer he stays and the longer he seems to be apparently kind of punched out on on these local events, the more he damages his legacy. I don't know if he cares about his legacy, though. All right. Coming up next, the controversy, the firestorm, the outrage over the firing of the FBI director continues. We will discuss and I will tell you where I think this whole story is going to be next week. Stick around. 919 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 922 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you want to understand why Congress needs to do something to address the problems with Obamacare, um, Aetna, Big national insurer Aetna announcing yesterday that they are they're going to be the latest health insurer to just completely quit Obamacare markets. Now, Aetna has they've been doing this over the last year or two because they've been saying we just can't make any money. So they've pulled out of um, many states. They announced last year that they would pull out of 11 states. Last month, they announced that they're also going to pull out of Iowa and Virginia, Iowa was the poster child for how great the Obamacare system was working. Well, now it looks like every insurer that participates in these exchanges in Iowa, they've all backed out because they can't make any money. Who knows what's going to happen in Iowa? And now Aetna is announcing that uh, the remaining states, um, they're just getting out. They're stopped selling uh, non-Obamacare plans in uh, Delaware and Nebraska as well. So they're just... And they're going to stop selling the Obamacare plans. They're just getting out of the individual health insurance you know, market. Fewer choices, bigger problems, higher costs for consumers. It's why for everybody who whines about the changes that they're trying to make, comparing Obamacare three years ago to what's going on now doesn't work because Obamacare is failing. Just saying. All right. I understand there's all this faux outrage. I literally. Let me see. I. I a lot of times when I have multiple stories that I want to refer to that I've taken off of, like, wire services and things, I, I'll paper clip them together. Today, I had to actually use one of these binding clips because there are so many stories involving Donald Trump's decision to fire FBI Director James Comey. Now, l- let me just back up and repeat something I said yesterday. First of all, the, the FBI Director is not the one that controls investigations. The FBI is an investigative agency. The FBI typically works at the direction of the Department of Justice or U.S. attorney's offices across the country. The FBI gets some information. They sit down with an assistant U.S. attorney or somebody in the Department of Justice. They say, okay, we've got these referrals. What do we need to make a case or determine that there's not a case there? And then, as a general rule, the investigations are directed by the local U.S. Attorney's Office or the Department of of Justice. So, you know, the fact that James Comey is or is not the FBI director doesn't mean 
that there's not going to be an investigation that that continues. So first of all, that this argument that oh my gosh, Donald Trump is trying to sabotage the investigations into you know Russian influence peddling. Well, it, it's just it is absurd. Maybe that's what he would be trying to do. Now I don't buy that, but even if he was trying to do it, this is not the way to go about it because it's not going to stop the investigation. As a matter of fact, the guy, as I was saying yesterday, who's taking over, who's going to at least temporarily be the acting director for the foreseeable future. This is somebody who he's a Democrat. His wife ran for office as a Democrat. If Donald Trump thought he was going to help get himself off the hook, if he believes he's on the hook for this Russian influence peddling thing by firing Comey, it, it's one of the stupidest political moves around because the guy who's taking over is arguably much more partisan than, than Comey was. So, I mean, I'm just looking at the headlines here. Sense of crisis. This is New York Times. Sense of crisis deepens as Trump defends FBI firing. Um, New York Times. Days before firing, Comey asked for more resources for Russian inquiry. And then, you know, one story after another about how what appeared to happen is Trump just got angry. (laughs) His relationship with Comey had had just deteriorated and continued to deteriorate. And um, Washington Post, a white hot Trump stewed over Comey's departure. Um, blah, 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 blah. Enough was enough. How festering anger at Comey ended his firing. Um, one story after inside, this is the Washington Post, inside Trump's anger and impatience and his sudden decision to fire Comey. Essentially, they, they just their relationship deteriorated, deteriorated to the point that they just flat out didn't like each other anymore. Comey was saying things about, hey, I think this guy's unstable, etc. And Trump just got tired of him. And Trump's the president. And Trump went to his apprentice mode and fired him. All right. So now I guess I I understand you have the the anti-Trump folks who are out there trying to spin this. Oh, this is his effort to try to suppress all these Russian investigations and things like that, which candidly I think is ridiculous. What I firmly believe happened here was you had the president who got mad and then kind of it stewed. He stewed and stewed and stewed and then finally said, enough is enough. I don't like this guy. I'm going to get rid of him. And I don't think there's really anything more to it than that. So now I understand you've got Congress talking about special investigators and these type of things. And you can argue once again that that's Trump's temperament is the bigger issue here that, you know, maybe you just live with this for six months and you let this thing play out. And after six months, assuming that they don't find any efforts, evidence of Russian collusion. And so far, nobody's found any efforts of uh, evidence of collusion between the Russians and between Donald Trump. And I understand there's some of the hardcore anti-Trumpers out there who hope that that's not going to be the case. And then there's some of the folks, like some of the folks who email me that are clearly wearing the tinfoil hats that, you know, have bought on into every kind of weird conspiracy. But the truth of, of the matter is... I think this was as much a personality conflict as anything. And when you have a personality conflict with the boss, sooner or later, you are going to lose. But here is what I firmly believe. Let me see. I was going to say a week from now. I, w- I will say I'm going to say a week from now. A week from now, by this time next week. I think this whole story is going to be yesterday's news. I don't think anybody is going to care about the fact that James Comey was fired. 
I think this, again, is a tempest in a teapot, and I think it will blow over. More importantly, I understand for the anti-Trump folks, it's going to be some of the, the fuel for the conspiracy stuff, but... I just don't think anybody's going to care about this a week from now. And a month from now, I'm not sure anybody's going to remember James Comey. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will this blow over? Or will this continue to be a huge story a week from now or two weeks from now? I think blow over is what's going to happen. We discuss next. It's 929. 9.36, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. The Brewers close out their interleague series with the Red Sox today at Miller Park. It's a chance for a sweep. It's also a matinee with Bob and Jeff. Our coverage of the finale begins this morning, 11.35, right here on 6.20, WTMJ, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. Great topic. I'm the first one this morning. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, the saddest part is all the money that they're wasting to do this. Right. Um, you know, and unfortunately, this is the way it goes. Um, you know, I, I feel sorry for the for President Trump. I mean, he's been browbeaten since the day he's gotten in there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they could go after the known criminals like Hillary and Obama. I, yeah. I just don't understand why there's other people out there that they're not going after at all. That's, well, you know, you see, I mean, I, just, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, here's the deal. Let, let me let me just tell you what I care about. I care about I care about health care reform because I believe in my heart of hearts that for the people who depend on Obamacare, it is it is already starting to crater. I want to see meaningful tax reform because I think we need to dramatically change the tax system. If President Trump illegally colluded with the Russian government to try to influence the election, fine. I mean, he deserves to be prosecuted for that. But you know what? That's a distraction right now to, you know, what 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 we should care about as a country. You know, it, it really it really is. You know, if you look at these type of issues and I understand because politics is what politics is. There's all these things that are out there. I also understand now, Jeff, you know, you were talking about, you know, Donald Trump being a target and those type of things. Well, I mean, he brings about he brings a lot of this on himself as I. I mean, I'm reading all these things from all these insider accounts trying to piece this together. Trump values loyalty above all else. And he's kind of a, he's a wrecking ball. There, there's no question about it. I, I have less issue with a lot of his policies, as I've said for months and months, than I do with his temperament. I mean, to me, the, the substance is fine. The style continues to be an issue. My understanding in reading these reports is he was getting madder and madder at Comey. He comes out with this thing about how he thinks he's been wiretapped by the by the Obama administration, and Comey doesn't support it. Okay, so he gets mad at Comey for that. Comey apparently was saying some bad things about, you know, Trump. Trump gets that gets back to him. He he gets he gets mad about that. So he was unhappy that he wasn't getting the full loyalty from the FBI director. All right, now here's here's my biggest concern about this whole thing, and that is as somebody who who wants to see health care reform, who who wants to see tax reform, stuff like this is a distraction. Because the truth of the matter is, any investigation into Russian influence peddling is going to continue. You know, it's going to continue to be done by the FBI, and it's going to continue to be done by by Congress. All right? I don't think this is going to go anywhere. Maybe I'll be wrong. 
Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe there's going to be evidence that turns up that Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin were talking in July about ways to hack into Hillary Clinton's email server and ways for the Russians' influence. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but okay. I mean, and I don't think most people, other than the ones who aren't wearing the tinfoil hats, think that that's going to happen either. But but that's fine. If it does, well, then, you know, then you're probably talking about an impeachable offense. All right. I, I get that. But but right now, my biggest criticism and complaint about what happens is it ends up being a distraction. The problem with what the president did, and he has the this is not the this is not the Saturday night massacre, this is not Nixonian. The investigation is certainly going to continue. But what this does is it is a distraction. And you end up taking your eye off the prize. Getting health care through the US Senate was always going to be a battle. Now that you have the Democrats who are united against him and then the John McCain's of the world who don't like him, now that this is just we're going to be talking about this for at least a, a while, which is the frustrating aspect of, of all of this to me. But having said that, the outrage over James Comey as an individual, gone, I, I really think that a week from now, nobody's going to care. Because keep in mind, a week ago, all the Democrats hated James Comey. I mean, Hillary Clinton comes out of the woods and talks about how you know she would have been the president were it not for Comey. Everybody was calling for his head. Now that Donald Trump gets mad at him and fires him, now you know now it's like, oh, Comey was the great savior. He was going to be the one that you know solved the country. The Democrats wanted him gone ten days ago. So, I, I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of sound and fury surrounding this for a couple days. But then, you know, it's going to die down. There's going to be something new. The investigation will, in fact, continue. If there's evidence that leads to people close to Trump or to Trump himself, that that will, of course, all come out. But like I say, so far, so far, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing that suggests that in any sort of meaningful way. I just, if I had been advising the president... My advice would have been, hey, you know, calm down, ride this out, give it another six months. We know you don't like the guy. You know, you're, you can you can get rid of him at any time. Give him some more money to do his Russian investigation. Do whatever it wants. You know, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to hide. And then six months from now, then you go ahead and can him after you've had this debate about health care, after you've got your tax reform things. But by doing this, I, I think the guess the phrase I would use, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm getting emails um, or texts from several people that I, I think I, I actually do agree with um, about the whole idea of of, of the optics. Um, let's see, Mitch, for example, in Sturgeon Bay writes, because I do want the administration to succeed, I am concerned about the bad optics. I am curious why now, um, what led to the recent deterioration. I, I just think, I, I just think, Trump acts on impulse, and he didn't like him, and he was getting angrier and angrier at the guy, and he decided, you know, to to fire him. Now that's again, that's that's my theory. Leroy in Milwaukee, Leroy, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. I, I love your show. I love your show. I hear a butt coming I, though. But but <laughs> but think about this. Trump continuously throws smoke screens up every time they get close to something that they're investigating about him. He throws another monkey wrench in the game to take you off of what mm-hmm. the task at hand is. It's part of his, 
his business tactic. Mm-hmm. He, 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 he's cunning, conniving. Like you said, he's unorthodox. Never seen one like him in life. So do you think, no. okay, do you think, do you think that there, do you think that there's something there um, with the Russian stuff and they were getting close to it? Yes, huh. I honestly, truly do. Hmm. You know, it, it, it's business. I mean, he has ties to business there. Like like they said, you know, he yeah. handed it off to his kids. But you know, hey, beneath the sheets, he still has a hand in. But I guess here's my question, Leroy. If, okay, if, if you're Donald, let, let's play out your theory. If you're Donald mm-hmm. Trump and you are you really do have something to hide in connection with, like, Russian involvement and things like that, and, and you're trying to do what you're talking about, like smoke screens and distract people, could there be anything more stupid than to fire the FBI director, and then, which then, you know, calls attention to this whole thing and plays into, you know, everybody's theory that there must have been something there? I mean, if you're trying to distract somebody, um, <laughs> this would have been, it seems to me, the very dumbest thing that you could possibly do. Yeah, hey, in me and your world, we see it that way, okay. but he doesn't. He's trying to chop all ties to anything that can lead to an answer to this madness. Right, right. No, I, I, they, they, I guess I, I, I mean, we'll, 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 we, I guess we'll play that out. I have a text line, uh, Jeff. I, I know that you, you know, were a reform never Trumper, but I can't believe you really think Trump fired Comey because of the Russian uh, fiasco. No, I don't think he fired him because of that. I think he fired him because he didn't like him. I think he values loyalty. I think he viewed Comey as a not loyal person. I think he got mad when Comey wouldn't go down this route of, hey, I was wiretapped, and I think he just got, well, PO'd. That's what I think happened, and he got he kept stewing and stewing about it, and then finally decided I'm going to act. I I wish, I I do wish, just because of the word optics. I mean, I, I wish he would have just let this play out because I maybe I'm going to be wrong, and maybe Leroy is right. Okay, and and maybe everybody out there that thinks that there's going to be some big reveal and there's going to all be this evidence of Russian collusion and things like that. Okay, maybe maybe you'll you'll be right. I mean, I'm not. I'm not rejecting it. I'm just saying that I don't think anybody's seen any credible evidence of that at this point in time. And to me, it sounds like it's kind of like, again, these sort of weird conspiracy things. But but the bottom line is I want him to do other sort of stuff. I wish I wish he would have not been so impulsive, because if you get you, you let this ride for six months, if we're six months later into this, there's still nothing in the Russian investigation. Then you fire Comey and it, then you say, hey, look, it really I mean, I've been in you know office, you know, we're going on a year now. We've had one thing after another. They haven't found anything. Then you take the political element out of it. Steve and Racine. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, uh, my take on it is I just cannot believe all the conspiracy theories coming out of the left. I mean, I totally agree with you. The timing probably wasn't the best, but you know, they have been investigating him for a long, long right. time, and nothing's really come of it. But I actually made, I'm, I'm so amused by all the conspiracy theories from the left that I actually had a liberal friend the other day, and I made up a story. I said, you know, you know what could be happening is Trump could be actually behind all this <laughs> Russian collusion stuff because now he's moving your eye off the ball of what he really is trying to accomplish right. and how he's trying to take you down. And the guy said, you know, I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Trump could be behind all that. I, These people are crazy. They're unhinged. Well, well right. And, and, I mean, I think, see, my, my explanation, Steve, is 
it, generally speaking, I, I believe it's the, the, the simplest thing. I, I think he just got PO'd at Comey, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and you know, it's, it, it's, it's like you're fired. I mean, I think he's, you know, I don't think he understands or feels that, you know, the way you operate as the president needs to be different than the way you operate as the, the CEO. My guess is if he had an employee at one of his hotels or one of his businesses that he felt was disloyal, he'd stew over it for a little while and then he'd fire him because he was angry. I think that's all that happened here. Maybe I'm being naive, but I don't think so. Well, I tell you what, why don't we start laying the blame where it really belongs? If Hillary Clinton wouldn't have kept her emails so cavalierly, um, none of this would have happened. It wasn't the Russians. Sure, they might have hacked into it, but it was her responsibility to take care of her well, own private business. And she did not do that, and because of that, she left herself open for this. Well, you know, it's funny. Maxine Waters, who's become, she's kind of, she's a crazy congresswoman out of California, 78 years old, and she's become, like, she's like the leader of the impeach Trump forces. I was seeing a statement she came out with the other day saying essentially, well, if Hillary Clinton had got elected, I understand. I think she would have been justified in firing Comey. But since it's Trump, well, no, it's a bad thing. I, bottom line is, I, I think at least as, as it applies to Comey. Now, look, I understand that you've got people in the media and you've got people, particularly on the left, who are like a dog with the bo- with a bone with this like Russian influence peddling story. And, and I understand that that, that story is not going to go away. It's probably not going to go away for years, but that one's not going to go away. But, but James Comey, the firing of the FBI director, I think that one is going to disappear, especially because it's going to become apparent, at least for the next several months, the person that they put in, if anything, is probably more hostile to Trump than Comey was. 949, this is Jeff. It's 9.53, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. The Brewers have been at or above 500 for most of the season, but Jonathan Villar, Villar hasn't contributed to that standard to the standard he set last year. Has Craig Council shortened the leash on the fleet-footed infielder? Matt Pauly examines tonight during Brewers Weekly at 8.07. The answer is, I sure hope so. Oh, my God. I was watching the game the other night where he gets thrown out. First of all, he fails to go from first to third on a ball that he misjudges and doesn't realize it's going to fall in for hit. That's fine. So then he's at second, gets thrown out at third, trying to steal third, and it wasn't even close. Later on, he gets picked off of first base, and it's, you know, you just, you don't want to see the guy, they don't want to see the guy become the next example of Carlos Gomez, just doing stupid things on the base path. So um, they ended up sitting him down yesterday. All right. Wonder if this guy gets the girls. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, curious about this the um the given name of this this man is isidore heath campbell right that's his given name lives in new jersey he decided he wanted to change his name all right well people change their names for all sorts of of reasons um sometimes you know ladies get married they decide to take the names of of their husbands or they decide nowadays you know people like hyphenate the names sometime all those type of things um so he lives in new jersey and he wants to he wants to change his name all right now there's a whole universe of names and i mean he doesn't like isidore heath campbell all right okay i get that so what he's decided to change his name to well, let me put this. His his name, the initials are IHH. So instead of IHC, they're now IHH. He changed his last name from Campbell to Hitler. 
And the initials IHH, he says, now stands for I Hail Hitler. Apparently, New Jersey, he changed his name to Hitler. I mean, I'm sure that's going to help him get the girls in the New Jersey bars. Hi, what's your name? Hey, I'm Heath Hitler. Huh? Um, and you were born Heath Hitler? No, 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 I changed it. Oh, right. Yeah, that's the kind of guy that you want to take you want to take home to mom if if mom's just out of prison, I guess. Um, New Jersey has few legal restrictions on names, and the state's Office of Vital Statistics and Registry can legally reject a name only because it contains an obscenity, numerals or symbols, or a combination that is illegible. So that's what the law is. Um, the guy born in 1973 um, now says he has everything he wants except his four children who were taken away from him and placed in foster care over the years because officials said there was violence in the home. Gee, okay, a guy who's just changed his last name to Hitler had kids taken away by Child Protective Services because of violence in the home. What a stunner that would be. So, all right, Hitler's name change. And then, of course, the interesting story is the um, the name change became effective on Victory in Europe Day, 72 years after Germany surrendered in World War II. Okay, bottom line, what's the line from the Beatles song Revolution that if you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you're not going to make it with anyone anyhow? Okay, I think I would say the same thing. If you're thinking about changing your name, Changing your last name from Campbell to Hitler is probably not something that's going to, well, endear you with too many people. All right. Coming up right after the 10 o'clock news, the Secretary of Education goes to Florida to give a speech in an historically black college. Um, She is greeted with behavior that I think would be fair to describe as boorish. If you want to see a video of it, it's an excerpt. It only runs about a minute. You can text the word PROTEST to 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Text the word PROTEST, and I'll I'll send you, we will send you a a video of that. We're going to discuss it. Um, To me, there's not enough oars in boorish to describe what these college students did yesterday or the other day. 957, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 10.09, Jack Wagner, 6.20. Glad to have you with us. All right. Um, Yesterday, the Secretary of Education um, went. She was was designated to be the commencement speaker at Bethune-Cookman University at the graduation ceremony. Um, It's a predominantly, historically black college located in Daytona Beach, Florida. And you know she is the sec- Betsy DeVos is the Secretary of Education. She is, I guess, a somewhat controversial figure because she has been instrumental in the school choice movement. But and she is, of course, Donald Trump's Secretary of Education. So because of that, um, apparently some people in the education establishment have felt that they they have like free reign to treat her very very rudely. So anyway, she's invited to be the commencement speaker now. Um, when she was invited, there was some controversy. Um, you had some members of the local NAACP chapter who were outraged that, you know, somebody who was a champion of, you know, uh, the, the whole school choice movement would be invited to speak at this school. And, of course, um, she's also 
you know, she's also uh, a, Den- a Donald Trump employee. Um, the Department of Education that she runs controls about 90 percent of the title um, for funding and money that is needed at historically black colleges and universities to help students graduate with degrees and impact on their community. So, I mean, this is one of these deals where um, it, it's in the interest of the university and it's in the interest of historically black colleges to develop a good relationship with the Secretary of Education because, again, many of them depend heavily on on federal funding. So they invite her to come down to to speak. So she goes down. She gives this speech. Now, the speech is about 20 minutes long. I I don't have all 20 minutes of it, but, again, um, we've pulled out – a section, and if you want to to want to see this, um, you can just simply text the word "protest" to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So she's there; she is the invited guest; she is the commencement speaker. Well, she starts speaking, and immediately she's she's heckled. Um, the the graduates, at least not not all of them, but but some of them start standing up. And they are are heckling her. Um, at some points, what the graduating students do, and these are people who are going out into the workforce. These are people who are, in some cases, in many cases, getting degrees based in part on you know taxpayer money that's been put in to help them graduate, decide that they are going to stand up and turn their backs to her. She then says, Look, one of the hallmarks of higher education and of democracy is the ability to converse with and learn from those with whom we disagree. And while we will undoubtedly disagree at times, I hope we can do so respectfully. Let's choose to hear each other out. Well, that's not what happens. Again, 20 minutes of heckling. It's uh, at least not all. But many of the kids standing up, the graduates turning their back on her, um, it, it gets so bad that at one point in time, the, the president of the school has to pause the ceremony to tell the students, if this behavior continues, your degrees will be mailed to you. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I watched this, and if I were to have one word that describes this, that word would be disgraceful. Now, I, I understand why she is controversial. But at the same time, have we really gotten to that point in America in 2017 where churlish, boorish, immature behavior is to be not only tolerated, but I guess in some circles celebrated? The woman is the secretary of education. If you want to disagree with her, fine. Sit on your hands. Sit respectfully. Shut up. Get your degree. Don't act out in this fashion. It was an embarrassment to the university. It was an embarrassment, in my opinion, to all the other graduates who wanted to hear the speech and wanted to have a nice, memorable day. But it is this arrogance of trying to stifle speech. And I I think it needs to be – see, mainstream America, I think, looks at this. Some people are going to say, that's great. They really gave this Betsy DeVos what she deserved. How dare she, you know, be the secretary of education? I think mainstream America looks at this and thinks, what boorish behavior – you are getting. And I think the students embar- who participated in this protest yesterday embarrassed themselves. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Adam in Bayview. Adam, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, how you doing? Well, good, except 
This is an embarrassment, I think. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's frustrating. This is nothing more than the continuation of censorship by intimidation. Yep. Uh, this started, um, I mean, I can tell you how I think this all started. I voted for Obama, and I think he could have said a lot of things to knock down this kind of intimidation yep. early on in his term, and he didn't because of the color of his skin when you are pegged as a racist. And that is just steamrolled into something that I don't think is ever going to get under control, and it's going to get worse. I think you're you're right, and you know one of the ways I always encourage people to look at things like this is you know reverse you know reverse the situation. Let's say this was during the Obama years, and he or his Secretary of Education was speaking at a graduation. Uh, and uh, Eric Holder, who was African-American. Eric Holder was black. He's speaking at a graduation. If a number of the students, predominantly white, had stood up, heckled him, and turned their backs on him, you know the national attention. You know what this would have been? This would have been this, oh, my gosh, this is just absolutely terrible. Here's this racist discrimination going on. Look, the bottom line of all this is that this is this is boorish behavior, and it's – if we are creating this nation of people who engage in this boorish, immature behavior, well, we're going to have bigger problems than we even have now, ten or fifteen or twenty years from now. Like I say, I get it. You don't. You you can you can disagree. Now, I think it would be an honor to have the Secretary of Education come and speak at your graduation. All right, you don't agree with all the things she said. Maybe you don't agree with many of the things you say. But then you just sit there. You be respectful. You be polite. You give it a little bit of polite applause at the end, and then you go on and you get your degree instead of behaving like spoiled children, spoiled, entitled children, because that's exactly what these people were. And I think, like I say, most people look at this stuff and they'll say, oh, oh, my goodness, you know, is this really what things have have become? And, you know, the answer is, yes, this is what has become. This is sort of that churlish behavior. I liken this back to, and again, I've used this example before, I, I liken this back to what's goes on, you know, with, with Act 10, where you had all the different protesters, you know, that, that came out. And again, do, do I understand why people legitimately objected to some things that, you know, Governor Walker was going to do? Do I understand why public employees didn't like the fact that some of their collective bargaining rights were going to cut back? Do I understand the fact that they didn't like the fact that, heaven forbid, they'd have to contribute more to their health care and their retirement plans? Yeah, I understand all that. But then it was the complete and total overreaction. This is the same thing on the other side. And, you know, the justifications are pretty darn petty. 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1020, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Recent studies claim that concentrating while in the workplace might be tougher now than ever before. Why is that, and how can you dial back the distractions when you're on the clock? John McCure has the answers today at 4.50 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, as long as we're talking about double standards and and outrage that should be there but isn't. This is a story out of Saint, from St. Saint Olaf College in, in Minnesota. Yeah, maybe you, maybe you know people who've gone to St. Olaf. It's it's a it's a, a liberal arts school, and I, I've always thought of you know very very good uh, school. It's in Northfield, Minnesota. Um, it's the campus has been roiled lately. I like that word, roiled, roiled lately by 
by allegations of racism. It is, of course, a predominantly white campus. And what happens is that you have a black student on uh, the end of April who reports that she finds a, a typewritten note left on the windshield of her car. The, the note says, quote, I am so glad you are leaving soon. One less, then it uses the N-word, this school has to deal with. You have spoken up too much. You will change nothing. Shut up or I will shut you up. Okay, so that's a pretty serious type of stuff. So the woman reports this. This gets all sort of attention. The campus is closed for a day or two because there's protests. All the students are out there you know, denouncing racism and kind of coming together. Well, all right, turns out the note is a hoax. Now, it is unclear whether the black student who reported this note did it herself or whether it was somebody else who faked this. But but this was, it was a hoax, and so the, the entire campus is turned upside down. There's all these protests, and it's all BS. It, it's, it, is a, it is a hoax. The victim, quote-unquote, of the hoax, apparently says that um, you know she is not going to be filing a report. Um, she's going to be graduating soon. She doesn't want to spend the last month in, in college worrying about an investigation. The authorities say, well, we don't think there's anything in the law that allows us to charge somebody with with a hoax of this nature, which if that's the case, uh, tells me that there's some real problems with the law in Minnesota, because it would seem to me that if you could if you could be charged with making a racist threat you should, it, if that's criminal, it just seems to me intuitively that it should also be criminal to fake a racist threat. But at the very least, at the very least, from the perspective of the school, you know, if you find out that there is a student, and again, there, it's kind of convoluted as to who the student might be, but they know who the student is. They say the student has confessed to to writing this, this fake note and the student's justification is, well, I wanted to call attention to perceived racism on campus, and the best way I could do it was by leaving this note, because now everybody's talking about this, even though it's it's a, a fake note. And again, I, I, it's unclear for me, and they're not saying, again, whether the victim was the one that did this or whether it was somebody else. So I, I, I don't know. But the school appears to just be willing to drop this as well. The school says, well, you know, these are like internal matters and, you know, we're not going to discuss any discipline that we had. So in other words, yeah, don't don't worry about it. You know, you can perpetuate these these racist hoaxes or these hoaxes alleging racism and and we're not going to do anything about it and there's not going to be any consequences for doing it. This is insane to me. Okay, racism is a very big deal, whether it occurs on college campuses or in the workplace or in the community in general. And I I think when you find examples of legitimate racism, you need to be and you should be outraged by it. And as a tolerant society, we have to say there's no place for this. But at the same time, every time you have one of these people who decide that for whatever reason – they're going to engage in these hoax, 
hoaxes. First of all, it makes the examples of real racism very much, very difficult because it's like every time you hear one of these things, everybody now, I think because you hear it, you, you become cynical. You say, okay, is this really legit or it's not? So it makes it more difficult to identify the real causes of racism. But secondly, it's just fundamentally wrong. If we are going to go after and appropriately prosecute, expel, otherwise discipline people who engage in this type of unacceptable behavior, that is leaving racist notes or making racist threats, you have to go the other way, too. You have to say we're not going to tolerate I mean, people who lie about it engage in these hoaxes. But on American college campuses now, and I think you know this, this played out in a couple stories in Wisconsin. It's playing out now at St. Olaf in Northfield, Minnesota. It's like, okay, well, if you want to engage in a, a hoax about racism, fine, no problem, don't worry, no consequences because we're going to say, well, the end justifies the means because, gee, we had the campus come together to denounce racism. And so we had to have a hoax that started it. It's just plain nuts. It's 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're nearing Mother's Day, and the Brewers are hanging with the pack in the muddled NL Central. Is the optimistic start enough to table Brian Ryan, Brian Ron, Ryan Braun trade talks? Greg Matzik thinks so. Do you agree? Join the conversation this evening. Sports Central at 607. Be sure and tune in for that. Coming up in just a couple minutes, uh, the mayor of New York thought he was doing something really special when he said, hey, here's what we need to do. Um, 3K. We're going to start having taxpayer paid for three three year old kindergarten. I've described this as taxpayer paid for ba- uh, daycare. Um, some people are now starting to say, "Hey, maybe this isn't such a good idea." We will revisit this question that's coming up in just a couple minutes. Hey, before that, I'm, I'm a huge movie fan, of course, and um, also a huge TV fan. Uh, yesterday, actor Michael Parks died. I um you you might not necessarily remember the name. He was a real interesting character actor. I actually remember he starred in this TV show. It's dating myself now, but I remember as a kid Jane Matinee smiling at me. Michael Parks starred. It was it only ran for one year. The show was called Then Came Bronson, and it was a quintessential. It ran sixty nine to nineteen seventy. So I was a kid, and it was about this guy who was sort of a businessman. Who just kind of threw it all, just gave up. So I'm going to get on a motorcycle. It was sort of like the, the easy rider thing. I'm going to get on a motorcycle. I'm just going to tour the country. It was kind of like Route 66 for the biker crowd. Then came Bronson, and it only ran a year. Never found an audience. But that that's first turned me on to Michael Parks ever since I was a kid. He um he was then in he did like weird stuff. He was in he was in Twin Peaks, which was you know a very very weird you know television show. Um, uh, then did a lot of the he, Quentin Tarantino liked him, so he was he played a sheriff in the Kill Bill movies, small parts. Um, he was in a couple of the the other things. He was just one of these kind of interesting character actors, and I bring this up because he passed away yesterday at the age of seventy seven. But um, then came Bronson. For some reason, that show it's I don't think it's available on DVD or anything like that. It's just something that caught my attention when I was 12 years old and just never never let go. Jane, you're just laughing at that. Huh? You know how there's shows like that every once in a while. Absolutely. Just, they, just, then came Bronson. But it was it was it was like Route Six. It was like Easy Rider. It was a TV version of Easy Rider. He just he was some he just traveled across the country on a motorcycle, you know, getting into adventures. Free spirit. At the age of 12, I thought maybe maybe that would be me. Didn't work out that way. <laughs> 
935. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers close out their interleague series with the Red Sox today at Miller Park. It's a matinee with Bob and Jeff. Our coverage of the finale begins this morning, 1135, about one hour from now here on 620 WTMJ. It is sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. The mayor of the city of New York has decided that it is important that all school children starting at the age of three be allowed to go to taxpayer paid for schools. Now, a couple of years ago, the mayor created um, you know, four-year-old kindergarten in public schools and in city-run pre-kindergarten um, centers. What he's now decided to do is that um, we, he thinks it is important to extend that to three-year-old kindergarten. He's seeking $700 million in state and federal funding to do this all across the board. And, you know, lots of state legislators who are saying, look, we, we just, you know, we just don't think that this is necessary. Or more importantly, we're certainly not going to fund three-year-old kindergarten in New York City until we have four-year-old kindergarten uh, across the state. Now, the argument is, and I get this, that you know socialization is important. And the sooner you, you start with educational and learning programs, that the better it is for, for kids. And so this idea that um, it's not just enough for people to, you know, keep their kids at home and maybe do some of their own educating, you know, um, until four year, they're four years old. We now need the taxpayers to do it. Or alternatively, um, I know there's a lot of people who take advantage of daycare facilities and things like that. Um, the argument is, well, um, it would be nice to not have those people have to pay for daycare. So let's have the taxpayers We'll call it three-year-old kindergarten, and let's have the taxpayers pick up the cost for it. All right, our numbers are four. Is number our number is four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is a trend that has been developing in the past. I mean, it used to be, you know, kindergarten was for five-year-olds. Now, kindergarten is is for four-year-olds, and it's it's paid for by the taxpayers. I appreciate that there probably, like I say, is some educational value to having, you know, three-year-olds go go to kindergarten. And there's probably even more some value to socialization. You get the kids out, they're interacting, you know, with other kids. So I, I appreciate that there is a value to it. But these things come at a cost. You know, it, it at some point in time, I mean, do the taxpayers of a school district have the right to say, you know what, enough is enough. You know, we, it's fine to pay for a four-year-old kindergarten. It's fine to pay for the five-year-old kindergarten. It's obviously fine. We want to support the public schools. But at some point in time, if you make the decision that you're going to have kids, you know, yeah, if you want if you want to send your kids to some educational thing before the age of four, if you want to find a preschool or something like that, good. Go with God. But, 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 but. It shouldn't be up to the taxpayers to fund that. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At, at some point in time, I think the taxpayers have the right to say, no, you, you know, if you want to do this with your kids, that's fine, but but you pay for it. Because the truth is they're looking for $700 million, for example, to do this. Okay, well, that's that's money that could otherwise be spent to educate 
kids in first grade or eighth grade or in high school. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. With all due respect, I mean, I think at some point in time, you have to realize this is more daycare. And I get why. Look, if, if I had a three-year-old and the choice was and myself and my spouse worked and you had to make child care arrangements, I understand the appeal of a taxpayer paid for a three-year-old kindergarten. I get it. But is that really is that responsible to make the taxpayers pay? Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, uh, good morning, Jeff. Hi. I think the taxpayers are paying enough uh, for all this. I paid for my kids' tax, uh, my kids' uh, daycare, and uh, my wife stayed at home taking care of the kids. Yep. And I think that, you know, the taxpayers, uh, you know, we have others, you know, the, the people should take care of their kids on their own. And the tax money should go to potholes in the road. Well, or, or I mean, see, I don't even mind the money going to education. But at some point in time, you know, you have to have priorities. And is is three k is three k, you know, a better use of money than let's say let's say you've got seven hundred million dollars lying around, Mike? Is it better to in, spend it on three? K, which is, I think, largely going to be daycare, even though I accept that there's some educational component, or, or spending that on, on second graders or fourth graders or eighth graders. To me, it's much better spent, you know, on on these other on these other programs if you've got the money. Spend it on uh, further education. Um, yeah, ex- thanks to to the extent that you you have this. Look, th- this is I get the political appeal of this. I understand there is a political appeal to this because all the young parents are going, "Hey, this is great! I don't have to track down a daycare thing. I can just send my kid over, and I don't have to worry about you know babysitting or things like that." Well, okay, I mean, do we really have taxpayer run for run babysitting services? All right, we continue the conversation there. If you're on the line, please hold on. Ten forty two, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Ten forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Let's see. Kathy writes. Some kids aren't even fully potty trained at three, and it's not the teacher's job to contend with this. Uh, Beth writes. As a teacher, I have seen many five-year-olds who are immature and not ready for a school situation. Three K is a terrible, terrible idea. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, let's just be honest with this. This is taxpayer paid for daycare. Nothing more, nothing less. Is there a minor educational component? Sure. Is there a socialization component? Sure. Do I object to paying for kindergarten or first grade? No, I, I don't. But at some point in time, I think the taxpayers have every right to say, look, okay, you're a three-year-old. Um, you, you got to figure out your own child care, and that includes paying for daycare if you want to be in the workforce. Carrie in West Bend. Carrie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. I, I guess my concern is that they keep starting these kids younger and younger in school, and they're going to have a burnout with school. I have a very smart granddaughter who went to 4K, right. and she's now in fifth grade, and she just, it's like, when is school going to end? <laughs> It right. was too much. And my son, who dropped out of college, he was smart as a whip. And he just said it was too much. It's just burnout. Yeah. So you keep cramming this down their throat, you know. That, and they're right. Those kids are too immature to be going to school right now. And taxpayers should not pay for it. Yeah, I was with um, gee, I, I was with somebody the other day whose granddaughter um, was two years old. And just a delightful two-year-old, but just... Just, and I look, and I appreciate the difference between two-year-old and three-year-old, but just barely, 
you know, just barely starting to talk. And, you know, just, I mean, at, at the very early stages of development. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, really, you're going you're gonna to take her and you're going to put her a year from now into the 3K setting? I mean, again, it, I get the daycare thing. And obviously in the daycare preschool, there's some sort of educational component. You sit around, read books, or you do those type of things. But as far as, you know, overall learning, come on, give me a break. It's predominantly daycare. It is, and even my grandsons, both are twins, are their twins, and they had to separate them in class because they weren't learning. They were just it was one was had a, a anger issue, the other one was too shy, and that right. was at five years old. Right, yeah, that's it. Right, you've got enough challenges at five, much less three. Now, thank, thanks, and again, it's just at some point in time, you wondered, you say enough is enough. Uh, let's see, Greg and Jackson writes on our text line, completely disagree with three-year-old kindergarten. Kids at that age um, should be having fun rather than structured learning. Show me the white paper supporting the notion of advanced learning for three-year-olds. And again, to me, it's, it's this balancing factor that's there. If you've got a pot of money that you want to invest in education, are you better investing in three-year-old kindergarten or investing that, I don't know, somewhere else. Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, I'm Hi. kind of on the other side of the coin. Um, looking at uh, what are other countries doing because we keep getting these reports of Americans not being as well-educated as we should be, especially upon graduation from high school, and also... Um, you have employers screaming that, oh, we've got jobs, but we can't find qualified candidates. Now, does that translate into our current? Uh, well, well, see, that, well, that was the question I was going to ask you. Do you think that the, the dropout rates or the you know kids not being able to read at appropriate levels or do basic math, is that attributable to the fact that, gee, we, we don't have kids going to three-year-old kindergarten, or is it more indicative of problems with how, how we're teaching kids in first grade and second grade and fifth grade and seventh grade? I, and that's what I'm saying. I don't know if we look at... Uh, Maybe it's that information is available from other like nations, like look at Japan and look at some of these other nations. What, how do they structure their education, and what kind of benefits or negatives are they getting out of it? Well, I mean, I guess, so, I, I mean, I guess here's how. I mean, they, thanks. To, I mean, here's how I would look at this. I mean, it, that I think it would be difficult to find any sort of reliable correlation between you know sending somebody to a three-year-old you know kindergarten and tracing that into you know how well they're doing in test reports in how well they're doing in reading or proficiency you know by by the time they reach high school again i i accept that there's probably again a, an educational value because in, in some cases because then you you've got some teacher that's sitting in the classroom and they're you know they're reading books or doing things like that as opposed to i don't know sitting at home and watching barney even though there's a barney educational component to it as well i'm just saying that you have to have a cost benefit analysis and if you were to do a study in Japan, for example, and say the Japanese kids are doing better, um, and we start them at when they're three years old, I would have a difficult time believing that that traces back to, gee, you started them at three, so now they're doing better by the time they're a high school sophomore. My guess is there's a lot of other stuff that happens along the way, including parental involvement or stuff like that. I mean, let's just be honest. It's, it's primarily, first and foremost, it's daycare. And, and, I appreciate it, and I understand, like I say, why some parents would love it, but do we have a right to say, you know, no? Let's talk to Cindy on the northwest side. Cindy, you're in 620 WTMJ. 
Hi, Jeff. Hey, um, I have real mixed emotions about this. I'm a retired Milwaukee public school kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. and I uh, think, Back then, it was, were you teaching five-year-olds then? I was teaching four-year-olds, and then I was teaching five-year-olds. Okay. I've done both. Um, I, I understand what you're saying completely, but I have had kids that have come into five-year-old kindergarten who had no four-year-old kindergarten experience, and no one had even taught them that the sky was blue or that this is the color red or how to count to five. Mm -hmm. And I have seen kids, because now I'm subbing, I have seen kids in three-year-old kindergarten who have um, the vocabulary is much higher than it would have been because of their home situation Mm -hmm. and so forth. So I see the benefit of K-3, but I only see it in certain circumstances, like we had Head Start or low-income, whatever. I've seen kids in K-3 whose parents are middle class that, it, to me, it's a waste of money. They've been exposed to all this stuff already, and it is daycare for them. Yeah, and I guess that, I mean, I guess if we were talking, and I, I, far be it for me, Cindy, to, to criticize, like, for example, a Head Start program or something like that, um, where there is the educational component, and there's also, I think, probably kind of that daycare component to it, and, and, and that's fine, just, but just across across the board, 3K kindergarten, that's what I'm having trouble buying into. Yeah, well, most of the 3K in Milwaukee is Head Start. Right, right. So, um, and there is a definite curriculum to uh, to Head Start to K3, and a lot of it is play, but play is very important for young children. It's how they learn to deal with mm-hmm. life. And don't even get me started on why teenagers are shooting each other, because they <laughs> gave up play in kindergarten years ago and told us we couldn't allow it. Well, right, you, you couldn't let kids be kids. Thanks for calling, Cindy. And I, mean, and, I, I and, and by the way, if what what they're talking about is like like three K all across the board, and and for example, I mean, I appreciate also that you have lots of parents. Who, who make this decision, hey, you know, we, we think it's worth our time and we think it's worthwhile to get the kids out of the house and to get that socialization and the educational component and that type of thing. But And that's fine. Go with God. I don't have a problem with that. But at the same time, I think that's something you do on your dime. Okay, our uh, let's see, our text line has exploded. Uh, Mary and Racine writes, when are we going to let kids be kids? Um, kind of an interesting thought there. Um, let's see, um, no school at three years old, um, completely disagree, here's, um, I said, read Greg, completely disagree with that. I think the concerns that a lot of people have are, um, again, are we letting kids, you know, be kids? Um, here we have a text, uh, do look at other countries. They do not have structured early learning. They play. That's what encouraged. There's a lot of data showing structured learning that early isn't good for most kids, the exception being kids in extreme poverty who don't have parents helping them. And I think that's the point that uh, Cindy was just making as well. Let's talk to Brian in Port Washington. Brian, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. Yeah, good morning. Um, I, I was actually born in a Scandinavian country, Norway. Okay. And, uh, and, and in Norway, they let us be kids until seven years old. And I, I went to school for only six months when I was seven, and I came to America. And when I when they evaluated me after six months, I was doing third grade math already over mm-hmm. here. So, and what they, what they allowed the kids to do is just be kids for the first you know six or seven years. Right. And and then and then at seven, you were really ready to learn. So right. 
you know, they were amazed that I'd only gone to school for six months and was doing third grade math. Obviously, language still didn't have because I didn't speak English. So, but well, I assume too, your I assumed like your your parents worked with you and things like that as well, right? I. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. No. Interesting. But you mean so your experience in Norway was they let kids be kids. It wasn't like we're going to start you at three years old. It was. No. Thank, see, and again, that that makes sense to me, and I, I understand what our caller Cindy, the Cindy, the retired you know teacher, was saying. Also, with this, you know, some of the other emails. Okay, for kids in extreme poverty, you know, all right, where you you got to get them out of the home environment um, for whatever reasons. Um, okay, I mean, I, I understand that there is a, a role for that, but just across the board, I don't think so. Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. The, the, the thing that bothers me, I'm against this. It's another way to waste taxpayer dollars, but it's, a, it's the consistency I keep seeing in all the callers' objections to this. is It's, a, it's people expecting the government to raise their, their kids right. for them and, and people allowing that. It, it, there, we've created a... A society, I guess, within our own borders here where there's the expectation that the government and the taxpayers are going to raise your children for you. And I just think that that's wrong. I mean, I, I don't know why other people can't see that. And, you know, whether it's an indoctrination of, of whether they, they this type of belief or that type of belief or whatever, I mean, it's just a simple fact that at three years old you're expecting to have children chopped off and the government raised them to me that's just a sign of a bigger problem you know, i don't i think so. I, I don't disagree with you i mean again i think it's like okay um at, at some point in time i accept the idea that you know in I accept the idea that we have a public education system. I am very mindful of the fact that I, I, I am troubled, like one of our callers was troubled by, about the fact that you know we're, we're behind a lot of other industrialized nations as far as education. I am alarmed at the dropout rate we have. I am alarmed at the fact that we are graduating um, people who, in some cases, are, are functional illiterates um, when it comes to various aspects of the educational system. I'm just not convinced at all that 3K kindergarten is the difference. 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up next, he was deported 15 times. He kept coming back. Guess what he did? Stick around. 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. Um, Our text line just exploding on that conversation about um, taxpayer paid, what I call taxpayer paid for daycare, what other people might call um, government three-year-old kindergarten. Let's see. uh, I did not have children to put them in daycare or three-year-old or school at three years old. We played outside, found playgroups, worked on ABCs, colors, printing her name, counting. She could read going into kindergarten. We spent time with her and not just plopping her in front of a TV. Now she will graduate on Saturday with her BS in nursing at the top of her class. Uh, let's see. Deb in West Allis writes, my four-year-old grandson will be going to 4K in September. It'll be four days a week from 830 to 330. I think three-year-olds are too young um, for that. Yeah, that's kind of the sense that is out there. All right. I want to call an audible. We only have um, about another 20 minutes left in the show. Thursdays is typically the day we do Pop Culture Corner. We're not going to do that this week just because we're preempted. Early start for a Brewer game. It will be back uh, same time next week. Got a bunch of serious things worked up, uh, but I think I'm, I'm going to kind of call an audible and make a decision to kind of save them for later, save them for tomorrow's show, because there's actually something that I've been thinking about since it happened last week. Uh, last Saturday night, I went to I went to the movies. 
Um, I I don't go to the movies a lot, you know, anymore. Um, because well, that's what we're going to get into in a minute. But I, I went to the movies because it was the opening weekend for Guardians of the Galaxy. By the way, Honda, we haven't talked about this. Did you like Guardians of the Galaxy? You did enjoy it. Did you like the the second one better than the first one? No. Thirteen. Yeah. I, I mean, I I would I would agree. I, I went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy two. It was a it was a really good movie. I would encourage people to go see it. I didn't think it was as much fun. I didn't like it as much as I liked Guardians of the Galaxy one. But I still thought it was a good movie. So I mean, it, and it was. Um, I saw it out in uh, Waukesha at that that Marcus the the super type of theater. Um, and and nowadays. <sighs> With the exception, the woman I'm seeing, we've gone to a couple movies, but as a general rule, I, I go to movies with my brother and my sister-in-law and my niece and nephew, and, and typically it's kind of the big blockbuster movies. The, the weekend they, they open up, you know that that's that's where we go. So that's that's my movie theater experience. As as somebody who is a huge movie fan, though, I mean, I, I still I still watch the movies. I mean, I've got all the different pay movie channels at home, and while I'm one of the last people in the world, I think that still that hasn't signed up for Netflix. I have it, but I mean, I I, I watch a lot of movies that way. Uh, I'll order sometimes the movies when they come out on DVD, where you've got all the extras. So I really enjoy movies, but. It's interesting because you, you go into movie theaters, and the experience of going into a movie theater now is a lot different than the experience of going into a movie theater 15 or 20 years ago. I mean, it used to be you'd go into the movie theater, and you were really there for the movie. And they'd have popcorn, and you could buy the you know the 20-pound Nestle's Crunch Bar for you know, $75 and that kind of type of stuff. And, you know, and they had sodas and things like that. Now the experience has changed. So we go on, on Saturday night. And you know you you've got you get the popcorn and the candy and stuff, but then you've got you can get pizza if you want, and you can get like hot dogs and you can get sandwiches. And and they had a bar, thankfully, where I went in and got my brother and I a, a beer. And you could sit in the movie theater and you can drink the beer. And and it's it's all these things that are designed to I guess enhance the experience and to attract people to actually go out to the theater and and spend spend their money now obviously the, these movies do well but at the same time the, these theaters do well but they're they're competing because like i say nowadays all right you're, you're not going to be able to see the movie you know the, the first one movie if you want to see guardians of the galaxy the night it opens up you're going to have to go to the theater but but otherwise i mean there's a lot of you know really good movies there's almost too many you have too many choices between the dvds and the the movie channels and all those things and you can stay home and you can sit in your living room you can sit back in your recliner and you know you, you don't have to pay the ten dollars for the glass of beer and you've got the bathrooms that are right now and you can have that experience um one of the things that struck me and has struck me the last few times I have been in the movie theaters, is not necessarily the price of the tickets, but how expensive the the overall movie going experience is. I mean, you know, and, and and again, I I get that you could just go in and you can you know pay for your ticket and you can watch the movie, but that's not how most people go. And if you take kids, that's not what the kids are going to want. You're going to want the popcorn. You're going to want the soda. And next thing you know. Forget the tickets. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to get away from that counter without dropping 20 bucks or, or more. Now, I was there's a big story in USA Today yesterday talking about how 
all these these movie theaters across the country are, are going through these different renovations and how they're putting in all the fancy stadium seating and now it, it's all about the food and all these other type of things and they're hoping that that's going to be a way that attracts people to the theaters my take is that that that's that's great but unless you can rein in the cost of these things you're going to price a lot of people out including a lot of families out of the theater experience because to me the theater experience isn't just going to see the movie it's all that other stuff but unless you rein in the costs you know people just aren't going to go 4147991620 that's the Acunet mortgage talk and text line what would it take to get you off your sofa and, and into a movie theater? That's the headline in one of the stories that I'm, I, I'm looking at. Do you go to movies as much as you used to? And is it just a matter of, like, getting older? Or have they become cost prohibitive? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because, look, I mean, I acknowledge I'm somebody that has a bit of disposable income. So it's not... You can't necessarily afford it. But I do admit, the last couple times that I've been, you stop and you're going to buy the kids something to eat. You know, you're going to get them popcorn and candy, not even extravagant stuff. We're not talking about this five-course meal. And I'm stunned by how expensive this is. And, I mean, I just – I wonder how – Theaters are going to make it moving on, you know, moving forward, um, unless they can rein in costs. 414-799-1620. Liz in Port Washington. Liz, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Well, you know, uh, Marcus Movie Theaters have this deal on Tuesday nights. Right. It's only $5. Right. And so we have a family of five. So honestly, if we want to see a movie, we only go on Tuesday nights. We just, it's just too cost prohibitive to go on the weekends. Right. And so thankfully they do have that deal where families can go. Right. So that, I mean, so that's it. So Tuesday night is, Tuesday night is the movie night in the family because you can get in for the reasonable price. And even at that, I would assume you, I mean, you got to be kind of mindful of the the treats and stuff that you buy for the kids too, I would guess. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's just, I guess I, I, I see, I love the movie experience, but I just kind of, and I, I I love having the big seats and the stadium seating and the things like that. I just I just wonder whether they're pricing themselves out of the market for a lot of people, particularly families. I agree. I agree. And you know, there's a movie theater, the Rivoli in Cedarburg, right? Sure. Um, that we frequent a lot as well. But unfortunately, you need to wait, you know, a few months before. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a first run popular. theater. Yeah. No. But nope. that is helpful to keep it, you know, keep the expenses down. You know, Liz, I've been going to the Rivoli Theater in Cedarburg since I was a teenager. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, that's awesome. It's so, a great theater. <laughs> it, it is. It, I mean, thanks. It, no, it, it's it's a great theater, um, and I think there's a lot of community support that's out there for it. I'm, I'm not sure they, they make too much money. But, again, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful community asset there. It's kind of a labor of love. Let's talk to uh, Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Before I saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I had dramatically cut down on the movies I went to see. Right. And there are two things that I think would make me reconsider that. One is that the movies need to start on, on the time that they're right. actually listed. The previews that I sat through for Guardians of the Galaxy were half an hour long. And yeah. that's just way too much of my you, time. You know, it's interesting you say that, Jeff, because, I mean, first of all, I agree. It's one preview after another. We got there uh, just – we, we got there – the show was 
645, 650, whatever the time. Let's say it was 645 for the sake of argument. We got there right before 645. Okay, I'm running into the bar to get my brother and I a beer. He's taking the kids to get popcorn or whatever. I probably don't get into five after seven. And they're still only halfway through the darn previews. It's kind of like, come on, give me a break, pal. Yeah. yeah, and I don't care about that five-minute-long Pirates of the Caribbean movie that I'll, that I'll never see. Most of that stuff is stuff that I that I don't really have any interest in. Yeah, thanks. I, I missed um, – no, that, that, I, I guess I, – I right. I, I do think – I mean, right, some of the previews, I, I do find myself looking at the watch. Cause, I mean, I remember when I was a kid growing up, it was always like a couple previews. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage uh, talk and text line. Tell you what, let me take a quick break. We'll be back with more of your calls in just a minute. What does it take to get you off your sofa and into a movie theater – I think one of the big issues is controlling costs, but it could be other stuff as well. Uh, 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1121, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Brewers Baseball in 15 minutes. Uh, Jim writes, Jeff, you've really got to go on Tuesday and sign up for the rewards program at Marcus. $5 for ticket, free popcorn, stop at a gas station on the way, put a soda in your pocket like everyone else does. It never costs my family more than the $20 for the, the four of us. But see, that that's I mean that's taking advantage of the deals. But that's telling me that lots of people are saying, okay, well, that means you know we're going to go on Tuesday. That That's it because... The, the pricing otherwise ends up being being prohibitive. Um, my producer Hondo, Hondo Jr. is two years old. We were talking about this during the break. You know, his his big beef is also it's the previews, like other people were talking about. You know, he says, okay, you, you take a child, you take a two year old there, you want to go see the Batman Lego movie or whatever. You get there on time, and there's 25 minutes of previews. So you get to the point where the kids. You know, whatever good behavior they've had, they've used up 25 minutes of it before the movie even starts, which, of course, um, is an issue. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Marty in Sheboygan. Marty, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I don't have an issue with any of the stuff that they do. Um, You know, the the scenario you just described. The Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you can go Tuesdays, you can go to matinees. Um, you know, you don't have to buy all the candy and the popcorn and the sodas. And as far as getting there early now, um, you know, like you said, 25 minutes of previews. Um, with Marcus Theaters having <clears throat> so many of them having the assigned seating. Right. Yeah, you can just show um, up. You, know, you figure out how, how long it's going to be and just show up and miss all that, huh? Right, yeah. Um, Do you go to as many I, movies as you used to, would you say? Uh, I probably go to more now than I did before. I, I we're not huge movie goers, not like right. you know, once a week or anything, but probably more now just because it's you know fun with the kids to go to you know certain movies and right. my wife will and I'll go. But but you I, plan it out. I mean, you 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 really plan you plan it out as to you know when you're going to go and where the ticket prices are going to be and show some restraint at the concession stands. It sounds like right, definitely. I I, I kind of equate it to everybody that says. You know, I can't go to a baseball game anymore because it costs me two three hundred dollars right. every time I go. Well, you don't have to buy the six dollar cheeseburger and the ten dollar beer. And- yeah, yeah, stay right, stay away from the twelve dollar you know craft beer thing. Everything. I was thanks for. I mean, I, I was carrying on about that the the other day. I'm I'm a huge craft beer fan. I was at Miller Park what a couple of weeks ago, and I was just I I was so thrilled that they have this like Wisconsin craft brewing thing, and then I see that they're charging ten and twelve and fourteen dollars for beers for a single beer. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I just at some point in time, 
you know, it's a great idea, and I never object to people making money. I really don't. But it's kind of like, do you have to, like, you know, rein things in? Sue and Slinger. Sue, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Sue. I just took my grandkid, one of them, and my two kids to the movies, and to get in for a matinee was like $40 for all of us, which, okay, you know, that's all right. But uh, we went to the concession stand, <laughs> and you know they want like $16 for popcorn and two sodas. Yeah. $16. <laughs> I'm like, where else do you go where you pay right. $16 for two sodas and a popcorn? <laughs> but we do. We do it. It's, uh, well, know, because you can't take the things, kids there. The kids are going to want it. Come on, nanny. Right. We got after the money. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, maybe they're geniuses, like, because they get people to pay this. But but if they would just maybe, like, you know, half off, they they could still make so much money on that. Right. Well, I mean, what's the markup on popcorn? Well, you know, you are hearing that from a, a lot of the callers and a lot of the texts I'm getting are people saying, hey, you know, that, that we, we're, we're going on the Tuesdays when it's the $5 tickets. Yeah. You know, we're doing that stuff. No, thank, I think – thanks. For, I mean, actually, so there's a story – I got USA Today – what would it take to get people out, you know, off the sofa into the theaters? And, you know, they're talking about the amenities. They're talking about that type of stuff. But I, I just – I think movies have to be careful because I think they're in danger of pricing themselves out of the market of a lot of average people. It's 1126. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, we've got a lot of stuff coming up on tomorrow's show. An illegal alien deported 15 times. Well, you're not going to believe what he's done now. Uh, some people are starting an impeachment clock for Donald Trump. I'm not kidding it, kidding about that. We're going to talk about uh, the state legislature, particularly the Assembly, being unwilling to go along with Governor Walker's plan to explore self-insurance and why why they don't think trying to save the taxpayers' money would be a very good idea, and uh, some allegations that, well, are, we're now toughening up on drug dealers, and some people think that's the end of the world. That is all coming up on tomorrow's show. Brewers baseball coming up in just a couple minutes as well. All right. Um, regardless of what significance you attach to the president's decision to fire the FBI director. And the, I've been making the case that um, I think what happened is, is Trump just got mad at him and, and got rid of him. I don't think there was any effort to try to suppress any investigation into Russian hacking or things like that. And if he was thinking of doing that, this would be the worst way to do it. But there, there's no question that there's going to be political fallout. And my biggest objection is I, I want to see things that really need to get done, get done, health care, tax reform, that type of stuff. And every time we have a firestorm like this, it, it distracts us. It makes getting the important things done that much more difficult. Um, new Quinnipiac poll out. Uh, Donald Trump's approval ratings, the lowest yet. 36% approve of his job performance. 35% uh, give him a favorable rating. And that's more of a personal measure than a job performance measure. So, um, and that's even before the, this Comey thing. Um, my guess is the numbers are probably even lower. The question becomes, you know, does the president turn it around? Is he able to turn it around? And I guess time will tell.